This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. another episode of a podcast of rare antiquities episode seven today we will be discussing the new zealand sci-fi classic the quiet earth so harry let me ask you have you ever heard of this movie before no not till you mentioned it be not surprising because it's a international movie like a from new zealand so never heard of it never experienced it so uh an interesting watch for sure i'm glad i got to see something new so that was good yeah, it, uh, not only is it an international film, it is uh, very small. I'll give you a couple of uh, tidbits of info before I get into the uh, synopsis here. Uh, so this movie came out uh, on October 18th, 1985 in North America. It opened on one screen. It expanded uh, to seven screens by November 17th, but that was as wide a distribution as this guy got in, <laughs> in North America. So Seven screens. Seven screens, that's right. Okay. Yeah, but I guess you'd say financially was pretty successful. It's had a budget of approximately $1 million, uh, that's U.S. figures, and it grossed uh, lifetime $2.1 million U.S. So it was made cheap, and even though it was pretty small, I'd say it did it did fairly well. So this film stars Bruno Lawrence uh, as our Bruno. protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Allison Rutledge as Joanne and Pete Smith as Appy. And Pete Smith, that's a name you'll remember. That's a name you'll remember, yeah, very distinctive <laughs> fellow. But most interesting is the director. Uh, so this film was directed by New Zealander Jeffrey Murphy, and that's Jeffrey with a G for anybody keeping track out there. He's actually had a fairly substantial career as a director. You may remember him from such classics as Young Guns 2, Free Jack, and Under Siege 2, Dark Territory with Steven Seagal. I remember Young Guns 2. Yeah. 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 I used to watch that when I was a kid. Yeah, so same director, but perhaps most interestingly, and you know, not maybe uh, very well known, he was the second unit director on the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which of course filmed in New Zealand. So he helmed the second unit on all three of those films. So, so the director of this film was the second unit director of Lord of the Rings. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Which I'd say is pretty uh, pretty good for you know you don't see a lot of filmmakers coming out of New Zealand. So, all right. Let's get into this one here. You ready to go? I, I actually just want to ask you a question. This is ab as obscure as you're going to get. Yeah. So yeah, obviously something that we, you know, in the spirit of what we're trying to do here, where uh, it fits the profile. But how did you really come across watching this movie? This movie I saw for the first time many years ago, probably, if I remember correctly, late 80s, early 90s. And my dad is a fan of both international movies and uh, smaller independent films. I mean, he likes everything, but he definitely goes and seeks out some of the uh, the little gems out there. And this was a movie that he found on VHS. I uh, used to go to this video store in town that kind of specialized in the rarities. Fortunately, it's it's not around anymore, but I mean, their whole stock was VHS anyway. Uh, so I watched it as a kid because my dad had rented it. So some of the imagery and some of the themes stuck with me all these years and I hadn't seen it since. And it's always just kind of been in the back of my mind. Uh, the ending in particular was a pretty striking image for me. Right. So yeah, uh, once we started doing the show, this kind of came roaring back. So I thought, Hey, this will be a great fit. 
Yeah, no, I think it's a it's a fit. Uh, it'll be interesting to talk about. Yeah, there are definitely some some striking images in this movie. I just wanted to get an idea of how you came across this film because it's definitely something that uh, I'm pretty sure. Not only do we have any, have, probably I'm guessing we have no listeners, but even even <laughs> if we had like a, a thousand listeners, I'm I'm I'd wager a guess that none of them would have seen this film. Yeah, first person to email us with telling us that they've seen this before they listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a special shout out on some future episode. Um, yeah, if it's family, it doesn't count because that's, well, as we've said before, they're not going to listen. So no, that's no. fine. All right. So, yeah, you can, uh, how about we get into it? You're going to start with the plot summary? All right. Let's do it. The Quiet Earth. It's one of those mornings for scientist Zach Hobson. He awakens with a raging hangover and seems to have misplaced his underwear, but that is going to be the best part of his day. His radio isn't picking up any signals. No one is working at the gas station on his way to work. And oh yeah, look at that. An airplane has crashed into the city. But there are no bodies. In fact, there are no people anywhere. And it's quiet. Maybe a little too quiet. A few disturbing signs point to something uh, that has just done away with all the people. He heads to his lab at work, where a monitor displays a cryptic message. Project Flashlight. Complete. Over the course of several days, Zack's cord gets a little frayed. It seems fun at first. He plays pool against himself, drinks all of the booze like all of it, and even moves himself into a posh mansion. But it's clear, the solitude is driving him a little nuts. After putting the barrel of a shotgun in his mouth, and then changing his mind about painting the streets with his brains, he backs down from the ledge just a little bit. He settles into a routine, but that doesn't last long as a woman shows up in his house brandishing a gun. It's not real, she tells him, and they embrace like neither of them has seen another person in weeks. I guess they haven't. Joanne and Zack strike up a friendship and start scouring the countryside looking for other survivors. After a few days, their relationship becomes a little more intimate. I'm sure that's no cause for concern. One day while they each search the streets, Zack encounters Appy, a Maori fellow with much bigger biceps than Zack, and an Uzi to boot. But Appy is okay. He's just glad to make some new friends. They travel together, and in their conversations, they each realize that at the moment of the event, the activation of Project Flashlight, each of them had died which must be how they survived when everyone else vanished. Happy and Joanne start to grow a little closer, and Zack knows it. He's more concerned with his observations of the sun, however. It seems that certain universal constants are fluctuating, causing instability in the sun. According to Zack's calculations, another event will occur soon, and they will have to stop it. They load up on explosives and plan to drive the truck into the lab to destroy the equipment once and for all, hoping that this will end the instability and save what's left of humanity. Zack knows that Joanne is lost to him now, and that it is his responsibility to see this through. While Appy and Joanne are off getting to know each other better, Zack drives a truckload of explosives into the facility and hits the detonator. Boom! The lab blows up, and presumably the Earth is saved. But we will never know. Zack wakes up on an alien beach. Strange cloud formations hang in the sky, and a ringed planet rises over the horizon. Zack stares into the distance. The end. So, there you have it. Probably the shortest plot synopsis on the show so far. So what, let me ask you a question here, just sort of based on that. Uh, are you intrigued at this point? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm intrigued. You know, your final sentence we can maybe get talk about at the end, about like what actually happened. What is this event that transpired? And that's obviously the, the main part of the story, what actually did happen here. It's an interesting concept just from the plot synopsis itself. You know, as a fan of Star Trek and science fiction itself, you know, this seems right up my alley. And, and I've been down, down this alley and down this road many times. So it'll be interesting to see how this compares to other types of science fiction stories that have been told or that I've 
either read or, or watched on TV or in movies. So, but, but it is interesting for sure. So if we kind of just uh, get into the details here, uh, I kind of wanted to talk a bit about the, the opening shot. Uh, we get, we see the sun rising very yep. slowly over the horizon. Yeah. I uh, like the, the shot. Yeah. I, 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 that was the first note. Well, actually it's not the first note I made. The first note I made is like Pillsbury films. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> that was the first thing I, I thought of. It's yeah. like, I was expecting, you know, the Pillsbury uh, mascot coming up, going, mm-hmm, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, that was just what I, that was the first thing I wrote down. But yes, the second thing I wrote down was the, the long sunrise, the nice still shot of the opening, like the hazy, large sunrise opening gives you an indication of some kind of post-apocalyptic feel. It sets the tone well, and I, and I like that shot. Yeah, it's, it's pretty ominous here, and that, uh, that slow shot, the ominous music, I thought uh, was, was pretty interesting. So Zach uh, wakes up in bed, uh, with, he's hung over as fuck, and he sees this sort of weird, or, or what we kind of presume that he's seeing this weird red light, sort of a tunnel-like effect there with a the light at the end. Now he gets up, you know, he turns on the radio, there's no signal, he uh, dials into work, there's no answer on, on the other end, so right away we're kind of getting, feeling that something isn't normal. He gets dressed, heads to work there, just driving uh, to work, heads to the gas stations, all, totally abandoned, streets are empty, uh, he stops at a house, presumably for help, it's empty, he kind of freaks out a little bit, he, uh, you know, he breaks the window. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I can understand. I wrote down, like, you just seemed to get really frustrated very quickly. It's understandable, but it just seemed, to me, it was just, I wrote it down of saying, you know, when he was breaking into the people's houses, the way he was acting at that point, it just seemed a bit unhinged. I don't know what you thought about that, if that that happened a bit too. We're already starting to kind of do an analysis of this character, so maybe it's not the right spot, but it just seemed, I don't know if that was earned, an earned moment, like he was already that unhinged at that point. Yeah, I almost felt that this maybe like was this a house of a family member or friend, like somebody he knew, and that was why uh, he he was freaking out a little bit because you know they're they're just gone. So yeah, he's he's coming unhooked a little bit quickly here. Uh, maybe this would have been more appropriate after he discovers the plane wreckage. Mm. Um, but Be- uh, before we move on, though, can I just mention yeah. one thing? So there's like obviously what's happened here is is like some kind something has happened. As yep. you said, the town or wherever he is is abandoned. Nobody is there. But things are still working. There's a kettle. I think it was boiling or it just it was still hot and you could still see uh, the, va- the steam coming out of the kettle. So it seemed like something just happened. Yeah. So I don't know if you're going to want to touch on that now or later. We can circle back to it later, perhaps maybe at the end of the uh, the act here. So. Okay. I, ju- um, I just wrote that down because it was like saying, okay, if everyone – it kind of makes sense a bit later. Yeah. But I was writing it down and I was getting confused already saying, how could this town just leave so quickly or get be right. abandoned so quickly just like that? Yeah. Because obviously it seems like somebody was there just like a moment ago. Yeah, that's exactly how it looks. It looks yeah. like there were people recently around. One of my favorite images there is he's driving and there's the the road painter machine or whatever that paints the lines on the road. It just like it was going along fine and then just veered off onto the side of the road as if whoever was driving it just kind of vanished. So I really like that image as well. He kind of gets to the center of town there. Streets are completely empty. And it's pretty haunting to see if, you know, something very familiar like a main street and it's empty in in broad daylight. 
Right. I, I find that to be a very effective imagery there. It's uh, pretty creepy. It is. Uh, and I, I also wanted to shout out that I did appreciate that shot. Like, mm-hmm. and I always, you know, marvel and wonder how movies today can do it out of CGI and, and a little bit more convincingly. But I always marvel at some of these 70s and 80s movies that managed to show empty streets, empty, yeah, like an empty city. Obviously, you know, they're, they would have to block off certain sections from the public and all those things. But because this is a low-budget movie, as you mentioned, I was impressed with that shot. That's why I wanted to make a, make a note of it. I only felt that they cut away from that very quickly. And again, that's probably because of the budget. They had like, what, five seconds? <laughs> yeah, they and only then, had a couple seconds. Yeah, yeah so yeah, it was just a little too quick of a cut. But I did appreciate that shot. Yeah. So he makes his uh, way to, to work. Uh, he's... You know, in this sort of scientific facility there uh, at his laboratory. He missed the plane crash, though. Oh, yeah. So know. he comes across the uh, the wreckage of a, of a plane in the city there. Uh, so obviously, you know, plane's gone down, but there are no bodies to speak of. There's no yeah, carnage. Nothing. There's no gore. There's just nothing. Just yep. uh, wreckage of a plane. So obviously, something is amiss here. We can see all of the signs are just pointing to everybody just vanishing. It's not like somebody's carried them off. Everything was going along as normal and poof, everyone's gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he arrives at the lab. It's empty as well. He pings these other uh, stations on a computer screen. So we see that he's reaching out, trying to communicate. And this sort of network that we can kind of see around the globe He's getting no response, no response, no response from everywhere. He heads down to the sub-basement and gets on another computer terminal. And all he sees are the words "Operation Flashlight Complete." Right, and I wrote that down too. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're getting some indication of what perhaps has happened here. He, he's obviously a part of some scientific experiment called Operation Flashlight, and that's sort of our first window into the goings on here. Uh, so he's walking around the facility, finds a body, right, which, uh, which I thought was uh, was interesting, and I actually I haven't really been able to piece together this guy. All I can tell you is that he looked like Cohagen from yeah. Total Recall. You know, totally expo- did, yeah. like we're talking about like exposed to Mars atmosphere Cohagen. It's like, ah, you know, it's like, yeah, like his eyeballs, like <laughs> eyeballs out and his hands burnt to, burnt to a crisp and face is melting and shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that Ronnie Cox? <laughs> <laughs> Love Ronnie Cox. <laughs> so this is the guy that I'm going to assume triggered this experiment or did uh, something because I didn't. In a self monologue, Zach said, "Like, oh, you did it, or something like that." Like he's yeah. talking to the dead body. Yeah, the, he's on. The guy was obviously at the controls when whatever happened happened. So uh, this is the guy that threw the switch, presumably. Why his body is present here and nobody else's is a mystery at this point, since we don't know what happened to everybody anyway, uh, why this uh, body is here. Uh, we just don't know. Uh, but Zach doesn't really have time to figure any of this out because he's triggered uh, an alarm and the sub-basement, the laboratory is quarantined and he is trapped in here. Using his ingenuity, he rigs up uh, some explosives out of a couple oxygen tanks and a blowtorch. I thought that Tanks of oxygen and a blowtorch might be odd things to have kind of lying around uh, down here, but uh, no, I, I can I can yeah, see maybe. it. I can I see guess. it. I can I see really I can see the oxygen. You think so? Yeah, I mean, like what happens? You never know. Maybe there's some kind of HVAC that, or you know, like just say at, at plants they have like certain control room areas that have dedicated 
like explosion proof or a dedicated HVAC. And maybe this is something as a secondary, a secondary backup thing that they'd have to maybe hook up some tanks in case the HVAC failed, because this is a critical component, what they're doing here. They have to make sure that somebody can't say hypothetically suffocate from lack of oxygen. If something went wrong. I'm glad you're here. You know, you're the engineer. That's a very convincing explanation. So we're going to, we're going to say that that's exactly what that stuff's down there for. And it's a fortunate thing as it does provide Zach's escape as he just completely blows a hole out of this place, climbs out, and uh, away we go. So <laughs> yeah, it was testament to old 80s method of filmmaking. I, I appreciated, I don't want to say cheesy, but the low budget shots of the explosion in his off and how he flew back in his office. Yeah. It's just the way it was filmed. It's like an old school look of a way of filming. You know, it's like looking from a TV show point of view, like something on MacGyver or the A-Team. Yeah. And you would see something like that. You know, again, because this is a low-budget movie. But I appreciated that. It just had a lot of memories. I thought I'd just point that out. It was quite funny. It was just, he's just talking and all of a sudden, boom. <laughs> yeah. He goes yeah. flying back a little bit. It's funny. I much prefer low-budget explosions to big-budget explosions nowadays, actually. They just don't have the personality that they used to. So Yeah, there was a charm to this explosion. Yeah, there was. Yeah. So he, uh, so Zach finds his way to a radio station in town, yep. and he records his contact information, and he just kind of broadcasts that on a loop, hoping that obviously somebody will tune in and get in touch with him. He, uh, we see him painting a sign on the street with sort of the same thing, and we see some shots of him. He's just waiting and waiting. Yeah, he's just like waiting as the last man on Earth. Like there's even a yeah. TV show now out there called uh, The Last Man on Earth, I believe. Yeah, I've yeah. seen a couple of episodes of, the, of yeah. that show. So this part of the movie now, I, I would classify maybe we're hitting act two. Yeah. Where you're going to see him kind of experiencing life as the last man on earth. Both the the pros and the cons. Like, you know, he gets all yeah. the, he can get luxurious items. He can do whatever he wants. But then he's alone. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I agree. We're, we're at the end of act one here. So I'm just going to ask you if you think that, uh, you know, has the film effectively set up you know the, the the atmosphere that it's trying to set up here this ominousness what do you think yeah i'm with the film so far i haven't lost interest there's a lot of curious notes especially as i mentioned being a star trek fan a science fiction fan you're asking yourself some questions what was operation flashlight obviously this bohagan dead guy triggered something what was zach's involvement right. obviously he had access to this facility he was working there so why didn't he disappear? I'm assuming because this event now has made everybody disappear. These are, these are curious questions, and I'm vested at this point. Yeah, I think the viewers left here asking some interesting questions and pulled in, ready to go for the second act. So again, as he's sort of searching around the city, he starts to unravel a little bit. We see a shot of him playing a saxophone at night in the rain, in the middle of the street. So, you know, obviously something to, you know, not something that we see your, your average sane guy do. So it's taken its toll on him. He moves himself into a nice mansion. Uh, what'd you think of the egg in the champagne glass? Yeah, I, I wrote that down. <laughs> I, don't know I, I thought Rocky that was good. That one or not. Yeah. I, well, well, Rocky just did the eggs. Yeah. I, I prefer the eggs and champagne. It's a, well, it's definitely interesting. I mean, why not? What are you going to do? An experiment, right? Yes. Yeah. A man needs his protein. Yeah, he needs his so, protein, experiment, you know, you get drunk, you throw up, uh, you're not going to work. It's okay. Well, that's, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, you know, this is, you know, your opportunity to uh, 
experiment and enjoy yourself. I like that. It's that the new qu- breakfast of champions. It's the new. It definitely, it's a breakfast of champions. <laughs> I do want to ask you a question though. This is All a right. side note, a little segue. What I want to know what you would do. You have no family of nobody here. You're just by yourself. What would you do? What would I do? Well, I think I would. Some of the things that we see here, I think I would do. Like I'd find a, a night, like a, a nice house, like a nice place to live for sure. Like I'd crash a mansion and and chill in a mansion. I would, you know, worrying about survival and all of that stuff notwithstanding, <laughs> I'd be stockpiling all the expensive booze, trying all the expensive <laughs> booze. Well, uh, you know what you're doing first. Forget survival. I'm going to the liquor store right away. Yeah, I'm definitely going to the liquor store right away. You're gonna need in this situation, you're gonna need you're gonna need your alcohol for sure. Again, a survival notwithstanding. Obviously, I'd like to think it'd be smart enough to stock up on canned foods and then eat as many perishables as I could get my hands on before they are no longer able to to be eaten. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't know how long I'd, I don't know how long it'd, it'd be before I'd start losing my shit. What about you? Yeah, I obviously, do the same thing. I, I'd probably, but am I honest with you? If we were in a, let's say, where, where we're living now in a city or any other, you know, kind of metropolitan city that's not against the coast, I'd probably go to the coast would be my first venture. I'd quickly go to the coast. And if uh, I, you know, live in a posh mansion against the beach is what I pretty much would be doing. Yeah. Honestly, I'd probably still go stir crazy as well, but I'd probably last a good while. I think I could last alone for a bit. Uh, I'd explore. I would seriously, I'd say, okay, I got like, hypothetically, I can't cross the sea, but I got all of North America to visit. I'd seriously go everywhere. Yeah, I think that there's a, there's you know certain element of that you know being attractive to me as well. But uh, I also know that we see a lot of post-apocalyptic movies uh, now. It's a very popular genre. You know, thirty years on after this one, uh, I do believe that gasoline does have a limited shelf life, so you wouldn't be able to keep that up for very long. But that's why I do it quickly. Yeah, as quickly yeah. as possible. That's why I said I'd head to the coast first. Okay, uh, so again, we get we get some shots of him. He goes to the mall. Again, this is probably something I do too. Go to the mall, you know, try on lots of nice clothes. So before, okay, so before we go that, yeah. I just wrote a note here, but was there another flash at this point? And it was I thought it was like he he saw something. Did that uh-huh. happen already, or did we did we skip it, or or not? Yeah, he might. Yeah, there might have been another one here. There was a quick one here, I believe. Yeah. So he's experiencing something. And we don't really, we don't really have any explanation for it. We don't know what's, what's going on. So how did you, I mean, the imagery is nonspecific. It's just kind of off, but he's experiencing something. I thought at this point, there could be a possibility that this is happening in his head. Okay. Yeah. That maybe he's delusional, for example. He could be psychic patient. He could be, that was a possibility in my mind that he was imagining all of this and it wasn't real. And I, I want to also touch upon, I know sometimes we don't talk about it right right in the middle of the podcast, maybe at the end, but what are your thoughts of the way this movie is filmed? Especially maybe around these flash events. It's almost like a mirrored camera where it's like shaky cam, but mm. it's not shaky cam. It's almost like it almost generated some motion sickness for me. Yeah, I, I, I know the effect you're talking about there. And because it's a low budget film, I mean, they're, they're, I think they're trying to keep it as minimalist as possible. I mean, they got to convey a lot here because, you know, you only have one guy. So obviously you don't have a lot of dialogue and the responsibility is on your leading man to to do a lot, right? To convey the atmosphere that they're going for. But when you only have him 
everything's got to be done now with the camera. So I think they're just they're kind of using little tricks here to to throw us off a little bit to make it a little bit unsettling without being able to put our finger on it. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting an interesting approach from from the director to do that because yeah. I think it becomes clear at the end this was being done on purpose. At first, I thought, "Geez, this film is filmed pretty crappy." You know, it's yeah. like, well, "What the fuck is happening here?" Like, I thought it was because it was kind of like you know how we talked in Leprechaun, how some scenes were sped up yeah. quickly, like when he was in the toy cars and stuff like that. It almost felt like there were little bits of that here. I didn't know if that was intentional by the director or not, and I thought maybe it was just the low budget aspect of this movie and they didn't have time to refilm scenes or go back or who knows. So it's interesting. Maybe we could touch upon it at the end if that was an effective approach or not. Yeah. We can, sure. uh, we'll circle back onto that one for sure. So, so he, he ends up driving a train somehow. Uh, yeah. I don't know how he managed to do that. I don't know how he managed to do that, but he's got nothing but time. So he could have figured it out. And then uh, one, one of the scenes that I really liked, he's, he's we see him playing pool, mm. but he's uh acting as two different characters against uh, against each other there. Yeah, yeah, the double... Uh, and again, this is when you start to get worried for the character. Is he, is he getting slightly more unhinged because the double personalities are, are coming about? He's just that alone. He needs to have somebody to talk to. Understandable. When you're alone like that, I guess you have certain... You know, certain personalities you're not more inhibited to... You used to be inhibited to express, now you can't express... Some of those are artistic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, maybe he, he always dreamed to be an actor, right? So yeah, he's yeah. getting all that stuff out. So yeah, he's lonely. He's lonely as fuck right now. And, and this is how he's dealing with it. The uh, one thing I did enjoy, though, a little earlier, you said when he's going shopping is I loved it when he was trying on the clothes, he was still checking the price tags. Yeah. And he had a reaction. Like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't afford this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a chuckle out of that. I got to chuck a lot of it too, but you know what? I, I would have done the same thing. I would have checked the price tag because you would have just taken the most expensive thing. Yeah, I would have. And like, or at least I'd be like, I'm going to find the most expensive thing in here and at least wear it, try it on just because I can't. There's, there's a, an element of truth here. I mean, you can, I could see myself in this, in this uh, situation here doing these things. Hmm. Uh, so that, you know, that helps, you know, cause as he, as he kind of starts to lose it, right. You're, he goes further and further away from what your own experience is. But when he does things that you can see yourself doing, right, I think it kind of helps bring you along as he's, as he starts to unravel here. Yeah. Um, now he's starting to cross dress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he tries on uh, speaking of clothes. Yeah. So an experimentation, he crosses the aisle there. He's wearing the, uh, the, the ladies uh, slip there. Uh, they look pretty comfy. Satin, smooth. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, Jeff. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 I well, <laughs> hey, I could drape myself in velvet. That might be. <laughs> That'd be the first thing I'd be going for. I know. Finally. <laughs> velvet. Velvet fog. Yes. Uh, now he's, so after he uh, cross dresses here, he's, he's got a shotgun. So he's put on a recording of some kind on, on TV and someone's being interviewed here and they're, they're talking about developing weapons and maintaining the balance of power. So now yeah, we're see that confused me because yeah, he, this is the scene where he's watching TV Yeah, and it seems like he was watching a news broadcast. Yeah. I thought it was confusing. Like, you know, at first I had to double check and question myself. Okay. Maybe just where he is, is a problem or is this like a global event? Yeah. yeah. And is he actually watching a live news broadcast? So it's kind of weird. I wasn't as clear as it should be. Yeah, I, I I agree with you there because where was this coming from? I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, knowing what happens through the whole movie, it is a recording. Yeah, uh, where he came across it, 
I, I don't know. I mean, was it in this house already? Maybe, you know, who tapes the news? Maybe it was uh, not a news broadcast, but an interview of some kind on some kind of a interview on a show and perhaps, you know, on a talk show maybe. And, and it was taped for that reason. Perhaps he found the recording when he was at that radio station. Maybe it was a television station and he came across some recordings. I mean, who knows, right? Oh, yeah, who knows? I'm just saying it should have been a bit more clear. Yeah, it should have been a little bit more clear. It should have been set up a bit. But we're, we we now see, you know, what the allegory that the filmmakers are, are trying to make here, which is weapons of mass destruction. And this yes. is kind of the first time we, we, uh, we see it and it's going to be... Yeah, because that's what they're talking about. Yep. This is obviously gives you a hint at what the first hint or first clue to what Operation Flashlight was. Yeah. Because now he's starting to feel guilty. Right. He, he couldn't take listening to that because his guilt is just eating at him from the inside. But then it gets a little weird because now he starts setting up his own private kingdom because he's living in a bigger mansion, I guess. And he's able to set up all these cardboard figures like movie stars. Uh, you got Hitler. You got Abraham Lincoln, I think. You got other you got, celebrities. Uh, yeah, you got the Pope. Uh, you got, you got yeah. Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hitler are the main ones that they kind of sh- focus on uh, camera there. Yeah, so. and he's like the, um, the ruler and, he, and then I guess in the end, then uh, the one line I did like that he used, and I believe it was here, is he said he's he's condemned. To, and then you finally get the classic stereotype or trope. He's condemned to the quiet earth, you know, re- repeating yeah. the name of the movie. I think there's a few interesting points in here. So he sets up this this crowd, you know, with the audio and everything, and he's giving a speech over his subjects. He's he, he says that, you know, he's a, he's dedicated all of his scientific knowledge to a project that, that could have evil purposes. For you know, for the common good, and he says he says a couple lines here, which I thought were were really interesting. Uh, the first of which was uh, how easy to believe in the common good when that belief is rewarded with wealth, status, and power. And then he says how hard to believe in the common good when when everything he worked to create uh, has been put in the hands of madmen. Mm-hmm. So I think we can kind of see you know if we want to talk about the development of uh, of atomic weapons in the 1940s, there you know all these scientists working on what they I mean, they knew they were working on a weapon, but they were believed like they worked on it for scientific pursuit. And then, but it's in the hands of people who are, who are using it for, as, as a weapon. And, and this is what's happened to him, him here is uh, he's, he's feeling the guilt. I mean, he was justifying to himself that, you know, this is a scientific pursuit, but he knew that because it was going to be in the hands of, of men with different motivations, different objectives that, you know, now it's his fault. So, um, yeah, he says he it's it's fitting now that he's uh, the president of this quiet earth, and he's been he's the one who's condemned to live. So that's right. his punishment. Is he's the one who has to live. Right. But then, then I don't get. Uh, I think then quickly after this, he goes to a church. Yeah. And he starts shooting up the place, like the the Jesus statues and yeah. and all the saints there, and he's saying he wants to talk to God. So I'm a bit confused at this point. So obviously he's feeling feeling guilty. And he's just mad. So now yep. he's just mad at himself. He's mad at humanity for letting it happen to himself. I, I, I let this happen to themselves, as he was saying before. But I still don't understand why he's going to the church and just shooting the place up. It's just, that didn't make okay. sense to me. Okay, so here's what I thought of, of what is going on here. And this is another piece of the deeper meanings that are coming out in the film. So, so he busts into the church and he's demanding to see God. He wants to see the man in charge. He's basically holding Jesus hostage. He's saying, you know, uh, yeah. I'm going to shoot the kid, right? And that's yeah, yeah, show yourself. yeah, of course. So, yeah. Uh, which, I, which I thought was, you know, also uh, fairly humorous. 
but as as the movie goes on this is the first place where we where we see it but he kills god by shooting jesus god is dead and he says the line and now i am god so kind of linking back to the previous scene where he's giving the speech where all of this this power of life and death has been placed in the hands of madmen but he was the one who created this power so he and you know and all of the other men the scientists they're playing god yep and that's what this scene is about, I think. They're playing God. They, they've killed God and taken his place. I understand that. It just, I don't know, it just seemed a bit forced to me. It didn't seem organic. Hmm. That's just my opinion. So that's interesting because I, I uh, this was one of my favorite scenes actually to this point. So that's interesting that, you know, it didn't it didn't work for you in the same way that it that it worked for me. So that's good. It gives us something to talk about. So that's fine. All right. But I just want to point now. So now I yeah. guess he's at a beach or something like that. And, and a little bit enough with the naked shots of this man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was an interesting, like, you know, like one of those classic stereotypical musical swells. And he like comes out of the water and he's naked. I don't know. It was just a little too, it was like almost like the director was forcing it to be a bit arty for the sake of being arty. Do you know what I mean? It just, uh, yeah, I do. It was, I do know what you mean. It's kind of a weird scene because it's, after he declares himself God and he kind of goes on a bit of a rampage driving like a big truck and he blows up a gas station and runs over yeah. like this baby carriage. And then this is the point where he, you know, he decides to to eat his gun. He puts a shotgun in his mouth and then it just snaps right from that to him, you know, leaping up out of the ocean. Right. Yeah. So it's like birthed again. Yeah, exactly. Sense. Yeah. It's rebirth at this yeah. point. It was kind of a funny looking shot and the musical choice was a little odd here. Yeah, it was a little odd. So I got what it meant. It's like a cleansing. Yeah like a rebirth yeah. but it was just <laughs> it just again it just didn't it, it was so quick and yeah. just felt a little like the director was trying to make it arty try, struggling to find the word yeah. to express yeah. what i'm trying to say here but it just it, it seemed off especially with the music as well yeah i totally agree and i think i think it the music choice here is what really makes really throws it off here it's it's really jarring and i, I i'm not really sure like you say i mean it's obvious what they're saying here but i'm not really sure why they chose that uh, in particular And there's a couple theories that i read about as to what's uh what's actually going on here but anyway so so soon after this the um, lady shows up at his house yeah, he's got his uh, beach house. He looks like he's yeah. doing a little bit well. Before he meets her, actually, I just wanted to make one note, and I and I kind of I flew by it when I first watched it, but just making the notes again, I noticed. So he's got a computer set up in this new house, and he makes the first of his his observations, and he just says, you know, UV is up a bit today. Mm -hmm. So he's he's making observations of the sun, radiation levels, and whatnot. So I thought that was interesting as a scientist. So maybe that's part of what helped re-tether him to reality as he, you know, kind of gets back to what, what he does. Then the girl shows, the woman shows up, Joanne, uh, with the gun, and they, uh, you know, they, they're glad, to, obviously, to see another person there. You know, uh, completely understandable. They, they hug quickly because they're thrilled to see another person. But then again, you're getting this hilarious musical swell. Yeah. It's almost like something out of, like, old international films like yeah. European films that would do that. And, it's in, and I know this is a New Zealand film, but it just felt really odd. I, I don't know. It just, <laughs> I was laughing, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think that they perhaps were trying to inject a little bit of levity here on purpose because it's been pretty heavy so far. And especially taking us to rock bottom with Zach, things were getting pretty dark. So it could be that they were purposefully 
trying to lighten things up here, you know, with the with the music choices, with how these scenes are shot. But again, uh, and I and I agree with you, it, it doesn't quite fit. the The tone is off here. Yeah, there's a bit of a yeah. The to- that's a good way to say it. The tone is off. Yeah, because you're ta- going from a serious, it's like grounded, yeah, in reality, and then now it's becoming arty. It's yeah. almost like two kind of types of movies merged together. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there'll be a little bit more back and forth between those two types of tones for the rest of the movie. That's that's correct. It it does start to jump around a bit here. So, But what's good now is, you know, Zach can kind of start getting some of his thoughts out. And yeah. he uh, he starts theorizing about what had happened. He says, you know, either we're dead or, or in a different universe. So we're kind of shifted. Uh, that's that's what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and she... And she talked about a dead baby... Who must have died after the event? She went to a hospital or something and saw a dead baby. Yeah, but it hadn't been dead. Like it's been three weeks uh, since uh, since the effect, mm-hmm. and she said that the baby hadn't been dead for three weeks, so it was alive afterwards. Um, and yeah. they find as they're driving around, so they start driving around searching for other uh, other people, mm-hmm. and they do come across a couple of bodies in a car crash. Yeah, in a in a car crash, and they have obviously not been dead. Like. For three weeks, like they're they've been there since uh, since the effect happened. So, so then was this just two other people who were alive, just yeah. like Zach and the lady, but they just were maybe recklessly driving and got into a car accident? It's either that or they had been. I thought perhaps they had been attacked. Yet another survivor. I thought that was a possibility. Yeah, could have crashed their car. I mean, maybe they're driving recklessly. Maybe they were drunk, and it's not clear. No, it's not yeah. clear. And I kind of wish because, you know, the initial focus of this movie, and, I, and the focus really is, it, it's science fiction. So I wish yeah. they kind of just talked about that a little bit more instead of just leaving it too ambiguous. It's a fine line, right? You got to, because like right now, I yeah. just want to know more, like, who are these people who died? Like, okay, they're, they obviously were alive after the event. How did they die? But they kind of just show that these characters didn't even care to even kind of investigate a little further. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I that's not really the thrust of the movie, though. I mean, no. they're not that we haven't revealed the, the movie is chosen to not reveal to us what's happened yet, right? right? We've gotten little bits of it, obviously, but we don't know why these people have survived, and so that adds to what you're what you're talking about here. It's like, why aren't they looking into this a little bit? The movie isn't chosen to show us what's happened yet, right? Until you know, for until a couple scenes down here, he does kind of describe. Project Flashlight to Joanne as they're eating lunch. And and this is at the motel, right? This is, no, this is uh, before the, this is before the motel. No, this is after the motel. Sorry. Uh, just, I the, just wanted to point out one thing at the motel. And this yeah. is just a small little detail that I thought didn't work. There was fresh fruit there. Mm. So where did that came from? Because I, again, I wasn't completely clear how long the time has been yeah. since the movie started. Was it a few days? Was it a few weeks? Because if it was a few weeks, that fruit being outside should have been rotted. Yeah. So it was fresh fruit there. Yeah, that's a good catch because it, it's been at least three weeks, I think. Yeah. Is what so they, so that little detail didn't work then. Unless there was fruit growing in a garden somewhere, you know, New Zealand's got lots of farmland. Maybe they found some fruit on some trees. That's the only Maybe. other thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Anyway, so he so that so after that, and they're still again, they're just searching around. They split up. They uh, meet back up for lunch. He descri- he starts to describe Project Flashlight as this it's a power grid for aircraft, so that they you know theoretically they could tap into this power grid and never need to land for to to refuel themselves. And she and this is where we kind of come back to playing God. So she just straight up accuses them of playing God. 
mm. of these men doing that. And he's, you know, he kind of blows it off. He says, well, maybe, maybe Cod just blinked and she, uh, she gets a little upset. So I thought this was kind of neat because he's, I get, I get the impression he's okay with playing God. Yeah. Cause he, he was okay playing God. But the funny thing here is, is when he starts talking about the project, I'm finding it hard to buy what their project was doing could have any implication to this, these flash events. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so it was just a bit, it was yeah. a poor scientific explanation on like what the genesis of this project was. Yeah. I, I thought they could have done a better job saying there was greater risk at what they were doing. They were tapping in maybe to some fission, some new, like a cold, cold fusion, something to do with maybe some gravitational experiments between the moon. I, I don't know. And the water, I don't know. It, was, it just seemed a bit. I'm just doing a power grid for air, for airplanes to refuel. Fu- refuel seemed a bit weak that this could well, cause some something like this to happen. He does kind of intimate that they were kind of tampering with the structure of reality. And but even how? He, but that but that doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't you know really I mean? matter how though. Like it that 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 part is irrelevant. The how is is irrelevant. I mean, they are they're tapping into something that they shouldn't. And this is just the reason. I think that the the reason why this this global grid was was part of the explanation was because that tells us that this has happened everywhere it's the whole world and I th- so i think that that was why it was in there and even even zach questions the the likelihood that project flashlight is what caused this because he said he says it a few times later we don't know for sure right that that, that it's related could be mm-hmm. a coincidence so I mean I see what you're saying. They could get into the science a little bit more, but I know it's not the focus of the movie. So I it, understand. It gets dangerous saying. when you start to try to describe this stuff a little too much because then you get into the jargon and exposition as opposed to you know this thing happened and it and it is and it just it is what it is, right? Yeah, I know. It's just the scope of that project. I just find it hard to believe it could cause any impact to our reality. Or, as you're saying, something's happening with the sun. Radiation's going up. There's flashes. There's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we don't know the methodology by which they're creating this grid, right? No, but then you have to still ground the movie into some kind of common sense. That science, scientific anchor has to be there. And this is where it starts to lose me a little bit. Hmm. That's just my opinion. You know, I, I know, like, say, in other science, scientific movies or shows, they come up, as you say, with, like, jargon that could just is nonsense. It yeah. doesn't exist, and you have to just go with it. But they don't even try here. Well, they they, they teched the tech and zapped everybody into oblivion, man. That was what happened. Yeah. Uh, if you buy it, that's what I mean. So then do you buy it? I, well, I didn't buy I, it. I buy it because it, that's, it's not the point. Like, they could have said anything, and, and it wouldn't matter. Fusion, it could have been... You know, quantum tunneling, it could have been a flux capacitor. You know, just... <laughs> <laughs> Folding the universe, you know, yeah, whatever. I, I don't know. I just felt like they should have attempted to try something to ground it in some kind of realistic experiment that could cause our reality or some kind of constants, like universal constants to change to trigger something like this to happen. Yeah, well, that's... When you you're know, just I... talking about a power grid for airplanes, it's like... Okay, so how does that? How, my first question is: Is how does that link up to what's happening here? Yeah, I, I, I guess I, su- I suppose that the uh, you know in the in the next scene he he starts you know he's got his uh, handheld recorder, his voice recorder. He's speaking into it, and he's said he's noticed that the unit charge of an electron, one of the constants of the universe, but he's through his observations, 
it is actually oscillating. And, you know, if they're working on a power grid, it could be that, you know, they were, they were messing with, with electrons and that's, you know, and that's kind of what uh, created this instability in, in the fabric of reality. Cause that's, yeah, that's what's okay. seeing happen. You know? uh, fair enough. I just think it's a bit loose. You are right. It is loose. Like they, they are deliberately not getting into the science Right, like that's a, that maybe, maybe they know sense. everyone in New Zealand is just hung up back in Tolkien's Tolkien's world. So you know, it's like they're just fantasy. So it's like they, they're not going to understand anything. So let's not yeah, even they're go not there. Know yeah, <laughs> it's like they're, they're more interested in visible rings and you know, Elf, Dungeons sports, and Dragons and electron yeah. charge. Yeah, whatever. It's all good. Yeah, it's all, good. Um, all right. Anyways, let's move on. So this is uh, as he's heading back to to meet back back up with Joanne. He stumbles into a trap set up by Happy, the yeah. the, the big dude. So and you could totally see it coming, yeah, mile away. Coming. If I'm in in his shoes, Zach's shoes, it's like, oh fuck, I better get out of here. Yeah. Instead, he goes to investigate. He's curious. How do these? How are these big trucks roadblocking all these streets? That yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. One, I can understand. Five. It doesn't mean I'm really only can go down this alley. I would have turned around and said, fuck this shit. I'm about to get kidnapped. Yeah. yeah. He, he should have seen this one coming. And I was a little bit disappointed in the character because I dislike in movies when in order to move the plot, they have a character who's otherwise intelligent, make a stupid decision. Like we, we all make dumb decisions Yeah. again. And we've talked about this in, in other episodes as well, where, uh, you know, in order to move the plot along, yeah. certain choices are made. And but I hate it when they use the this is a trap. Hmm. Maybe I should go in further and see what's going on. Like, <laughs> well, you're betraying the character, right? You are. Yeah, it's uh, lazy, and, it, and it's. I find it insulting to my intelligence as well as a as a viewer. So, mm-hmm. Appy at gunpoint takes or uh, forces Zach to to head back uh, to meet up with Joanne but you know he's not such a bad guy after all they all kind of start to become friends again and then you get the hilarious going back to it that musical swell yeah. <laughs> when they all you know at first like they're all like you know she was worried about this guy Zach was worried about this guy and then it's like he just drop he just drops it drops his uzi or shotgun or whatever he had down and then they just have a big group hug and you have a musical swell again (laughs) yeah it it was a little it was a little goofy again but you know i actually this is the the other the other two times that we kind of talked about the the musical score uh didn't work for me this one for some reason this particular scene the choices here it worked it worked for me because they're all they seem to be making progress or they i think they each feel that we're making progress like we're finding more people Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we're not alone anymore. And so I think it makes sense at this point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they hit the road uh, all together. Uh, so they're kind of camped out around a fire. And this, yeah, is, this where, is a good scene. Yeah, this is a good scene here. Mm-hmm. And we discover that Appy was dead, he said. I was or dead. dying. You're about to die. He was at the moment of death. He was uh, getting drowned in uh, yeah. in a river. And that's when the uh, the event happened. And, mm-hmm. and then Joanne kind of has a flash to what happened to her at that moment. And she She's had, electrocuted. She was electrocuted uh, by her hairdryer. So now we know why they've made it. Is yeah, and then, but then Zach doesn't necessarily reveal here. No, we yeah, don't so, see. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So the, the funny thing is, is I started writing, asking questions and writing this down. Did he commit suicide? Because mm-hmm. he was involved in this project. He was feeling guilty. Because I think they show he was taking meds. Like they had a little flashback of him thinking. Yeah. And I think they show like he was had medication. 
So yeah, they show Diddy O D. Yeah. That's yeah. that's exactly what they're showing here. They show a bottle of pills that he's flashed back to, and since and so that's kind of what we're being led to believe at this point. We're not sure. No, nobody's. Yeah. he doesn't it. reveal it to anybody, but he they reveal it to the audience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, suicide, most likely. Yeah, yeah most likely. And, you know, if you kind of if you think back to the imagery when he woke up in the first scene of the movie there, and he uh, got dressed and drove into work, he was at he was at a motel, so he wasn't even at home. So you know. Pieces of the puzzle are starting to uh, fall into place here. So as we uh, as we see them hanging out more, Joanne's starting to. We can see that she's becoming enamored with Appy, and uh, and that'll be important later, obviously. And then we hear Zach his recordings that he's you know he's taking his own making his own record of events, and he's calculated that oscillations of the sun are going to cause it to collapse uh, very soon. Uh, he needs to. He says he needs to run a computer model to get accurate. Accurate readings. <laughs> Jorel, be reasonable. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. So he's working on his experiments. I just wrote something down here. I, I don't know if you're going to get to it or not. They're starting to have that tri- uh, love triangle kind of thing, yeah. and there's a bit of there's some conflicts there. I don't know. Are you, are you going to touch on that later, or? Yeah. Well, that's uh, so. Right in the next scene here, we see Appy and Joanne out for a run. Everything's all good, but he. You know, she's asking him why, like, what had happened, and he said that he was uh, he had killed his friend's wife, and that's why. Yeah. And she's like, "Well, why?" And he said, "What well, was necessary?" So she kind of freaks out him, and she accuses him of believing, you know, that he is God at this point. So there's that theme coming up again, and Zach comes across her as she's, you know, she's obviously rattled at at this. So he comes across her, and he's trying to tell her to like pack up her stuff. We gotta, we gotta go and. They're they're arguing, and he puts his hands on her, and that's when Appy comes in, and so the three are you know there's a conflict here. Yeah, but um, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I I hated these scenes. They're really bad. Now all of a sudden, like Zach, he's trying to do his experiment or trying to get out because he knows what he has to do, and then all of a sudden it's like Appy saying he's working on him being the last man on earth. You know, he says I'm working on it. Like oh, he's yeah, just yeah. trying to kill him for no reason, like without understanding. Like there's some jealousy there. Obviously, because, you know, there's only one woman. I, I don't know. It just seemed like it wasn't clear and it was really fast for them to generate these conflicts. I don't know. It just didn't work. I see what you're saying. I mean, I think it's believable that, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have an argument over the woman. I mean, that's... But, but, but Zach wasn't even really like when he's talking to Appy, he's not talking yeah. about the woman. He's saying we got to go and we got to do something because right. some, a bad event is going to happen. No one's listening to him. Nobody's listening to him, but he's not, he's also, he's not, he's like, I'll explain on the way. And, and it's like, you know, he's kind of blowing it off. And then he says that, uh, you know, it's a waste of time for somebody like him to try to explain it to someone like you. So he's like, you're not going to understand me anyway, because you're too dumb. So I'm not going to bother. So he kind of insults him right there. And that, that just escalates uh, the situation. I I, I just thought it was very forced and poorly written. That's just me. I I don't know. I didn't buy that conflict. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. So uh, anyway, so, um, you know, they, there's a bit of a car chase there as, uh, you know, again, the, the, the situation escalates. When they all kind of catch up with each other again there, he, uh, Zach explains what he thinks is going on. But, you know, like there's no, there's no plan to fix it. So they get back to his computer equipment and the analysis says at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning, the effect is going to happen again. So and then mm-hmm. at this point, they experience a tremor or pre-flash event. Yeah, like, a, yeah, he, I think he describes it as a tremor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things get a little weird here. We get, uh, you know, sets yeah. are kind of turned on their side. You get Nolan took his Inception sequence from. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. some funky, low budget 
Inception sequence where, yeah, where they're walking on the walls a little bit. It looked cool. Yeah, it looked cool. And that's not easy to do either. I mean, they're walking on the walls, but it didn't, it didn't make a lot of sense. Based on what will be revealed happened or will happen, this didn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, it's just the director chose. It's it's interesting. It's not the fact that like now you're starting to bend reality, right? Yeah. Yeah. That I understand. That makes sense. Just with them walking on the walls, that didn't make any sense. I think they could have done a bunch of different other ideas to fit in more with what was happening in terms of what the, the the event is or what the flash like operation flashlight did or will do and we can get into that later when we when we reveal it or we can right, talk right. about it because it's, it's still a little vague it's yeah. not quite clear but based on my interpretation of what that is this didn't make any sense he says that like the fabric of reality is unstable so this is I, I guess they you know they chose to use some some specific imagery to to illustrate to us as the audience that you know something is going on this is proof for everybody too like there is something yeah. going on correct and you know and, re- and reality is kind of starting to to uncouple a little bit and and this is how they chose to show it i mean it's low budget so i thought it, i thought it worked because now they can all see you know for sure like something's something's up and mm-hmm. i think it was important to show that to to them and to us that yes yeah for sure for, uh, both for the characters and the audience i agree I appreciate that they showed some. I just feel that the imagery didn't fit into what the event is. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and you know what? I mean, we don't really even know what the event is. So they head to, like any smart person would, uh, when something's not working, the solution is to blow that motherfucker up. <laughs> they uh, they head to a military base to get some explosives. Oh, so explosives, they load up yeah. They load up a couple uh, truck with, with every explosive in that place. And it's mm-hmm. quite a lot. And they're, you know, as they're driving towards the, the facility, you know, they have a little uh, run in on the road there and uh, they get in another argument. Appy and Joanne, they're getting closer at this point. Zach pulls everybody over, says the radiation is, is too high for them to approach safely. So they, they kind of stop by what looks like a guard tower or, some, or something, yeah. some checkpoint. He says he's got a, a remote control rig back in the city that he used on a lawnmower, which we did see in an earlier scene that he can use to drive the truck remotely. And he can see that, like, the look in his face, like, he knows that Appy and Joanne are, he's, she's lost to him now at this point. Uh, so he leaves. Uh, but he, Joanne, he just said that so he could just leave them and then he'll do yeah. it himself. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So he leaves. Joanne and Appy have a post-apocalyptic hookup. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as the, the pillow talk here is Appy volunteering to, to drive the, he doesn't think it, the remote's going to work. He's, he's going to drive the truck himself. Uh, but just as he's saying that, they, they hear the truck and, uh, you know, Zach, it's only been 20 minutes. Zach is driving the truck himself. He did not go back for the remote and he drives the truck of explosives right into the facility there. And then just as the effect begins happening again, he, he hits the detonator and blows the place to kingdom come. So mm-hmm. the facility is destroyed. And then at, you know, at this point it would be happily, happily ever after, I suppose. But uh, we see that same uh, red tunnel again, that imagery where there's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel, which he saw at the start of the film, in which Appy had also described when he was talking about his experience. And then he, uh, so Zach wakes up on this uh, alien beach, you know, this strange cloud formations in the distance. It's a cool it, shot. Yeah, it's a pretty cool shot. Yeah, this image is very... Yeah, upside down clouds. Yeah, yeah he's on the beach with some water or ocean. Uh, you see some, either another planet or a moon very close by. Obviously, he's somewhere else. Yeah, he's... Uh, he's so, and that's where the movie ends. He's just looking at it. Yeah, he's looking at it. We see that he still has his voice recorder. He kind of 
raises it to his face and looks at it, but uh, he doesn't know what the fuck to say. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then, uh, and, then uh, and then that's it. The movie yeah. ends. All right. So I guess now the real question is, is what's your interpretation of the flat? Like, what did it do? Where did he go? Where did he go? You know what? I, I've, I had a couple of theories. You know, we had talked about, there's some Catholic imagery here. We talked about him playing God. So if you wanted to kind of draw that, he could be in, I mean, he could be in purgatory or this could be heaven. And he was just in purgatory. Like if you're, again, to go back to the, some of the Christian imagery, Catholics believe if you commit suicide, you're, you go to, uh, you go to purgatory mm. at least. So he did kill himself. So it could be that he was in purgatory the entire time uh, in the film. And now he's either in hell or in heaven. His version of it. Yeah. His version of it. Exactly. I know that the filmmakers Catholics, so that I think that that's possible what we're seeing here. I think that, you know, he's just, he sort of slipped into another reality. That's what's happened here. My first thought was, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the thought of heaven and hell because yeah i mean if he did commit suicide i did think okay is this he's really dead and this is just his version like is this all in his head like is yeah. this the step like as i mentioned before when he was seeing these flashes maybe yeah. all of this like was maybe him because you see that at the beginning of the movie before he wakes up you have him pass through that tunnel that red tunnel so maybe this is either him going to heaven or to hell and it's that transition from life to death and right. then when he kind of wakes up, he has this kind of like, you're outside the pearly gates knocking in or out, or downstairs knocking on some kind of gate. And this is your little preview of what's to come. And yeah. you have to live, you have to go through this trial before you move on to the next step. It may be like remnants of your brain still working before, while you're dead, like as, as you're dying, as oxygen mm -hmm. is being depleted because you're no longer breathing. And your brain tissue is degrading because it's shutting down. It doesn't happen in, a, in an instant. Like it's, right. things still are working for a bit. Well, a bit is not three weeks. A bit could be him being, this could have happened over the course of a few minutes in reality. And he's experiencing it for however long it takes from his point of view. Right. And so that's one aspect, as you said. And I thought about that too. The other aspect is, and I'm, I'm leaning more towards this one, is that it's, it's a science fiction story. It's an interdimensional shift. Like he has traveled to another dimension. So everybody, this flash sequence, even though I don't buy the scientific basis of it, this event caused people to jump from one dimension to another. Yeah. And it could be completely random because he's saying thing, the sun is oscillating. There is no constants. So even though he ended up alone on some beach or some other place... It could be Earth in another dimension. Yeah. He may not be with everyone else or anywhere else, anyone else who, who was on Earth and also made that jump. Right. It, it's his own individual jump because unless you experienced it at that one time, if you're experiencing it at a different time, there are different variables in play now, so you might go somewhere else. So that's yeah. what I thought. I think I agree with you there. I think that's that's what we're what we're looking at. I guess my only issue with that interpretation is that it feels God, how do you say it i don't want to say it feels pointless that that's that if that's what's happening here like there's no there's no closure but now you're going to get into the lost conversation because yeah. <laughs> you know it's like oh they were dead the whole time no they weren't <laughs> dead the whole time on lost though that's that's the thing like, they even said I don't that all man they, yeah it's not clear <laughs> well i mean i guess just because you brought up Lost, because I was thinking about that here as well. Like, you know, what's happened is this purgatory, what's going on? As part of me likes the ambiguity at the end, because then you have to kind of ask some questions and talk about it. Not, It's not wrapped up neatly. The movie exists in a state of, like, asking questions and 
not really knowing what goes on, I think it kind of betrays, it would betray the movie to answer all of the questions. Yeah, I don't like how Lost resolved itself. There right. were too many I, questions, yeah. and I think there was not... They had an idea of where they wanted to go, and they couldn't realize it, and then they backtracked and went somewhere else. Here, I think they had a, a smaller, more simpler scope of a story to tell, and they left the ending a little ambiguous for a viewer to interpret either way. That's better. This is better, in, in my opinion, than what Lost did. Now, whether this movie is still something to... We could talk about the strengths and weaknesses, unless you want to talk touch about the ending a little further... Well, I mean, I'd, I'd like to talk the ending, but I don't know what else to say about it. You know, like that's yeah. another thing as well, as I thought that, you know, there might be more to, to kind of dissect there, but. I'm not sure what other options are there. I mean, there could be. Well, I don't know if we're be. smart enough to figure that out, though. <laughs> well, or it could be, I suppose it could be, it could almost be both, right? Or it's an allegory to, you know, the, the trials to, you know, a trial to, to get into heaven. I mean, that that is still a possibility as uh, maybe not as, to what literally happened, but that's the allegory that they're they're talking about. And because they do talk about these guys playing God, you know, they're using, you know, he he's using science to play God. So they're saying that that's kind of what scientists do, right? Mm-hmm. So when we kind of come to the end here, oh, I don't know, it doesn't... And that's, no, but that's the fault of the movie, I think, is like, I think they had some threads they could have explored more yeah. to have even a more deeper meaning at the end. But I just felt it wasn't there. Yeah. I think you have two options. It's yeah. like either it's an actual dimensional shift or this is his transition from life to death. Yeah, And, and well, that's unfortunate. There are elements of this movie I really like, but I feel they weren't well-developed enough to really hit a home run with the ending. I agree with you on that. It, it isn't a home run of an ending, even as great a shot as it is. The imagery is uh, very striking. It doesn't have enough underneath it's almost like a twilight zone type of ending where something where the twist happens at the end and then the credits start to roll it's like oh that's it yeah yeah. i mean i i remember taking a class in university or or something and the lesson of the lecture was you can't put the most interesting thing at the end of your story like that's you put the interesting thing at the start of your story and then tell the story from there Mm -hmm. and it's not that they didn't do that because obviously the story starts you know after this uh you know this mysterious uh event it happened but then they kind of do the same thing where it happens again and uh, only he's on i guess he's on the other side of it now but then then it's over so we don't get a chance to explore something that was going to be really cool i mean obviously that wasn't the point of the movie but maybe then it would have been more appropriate well then i don't know what a more appropriate ending would have would have been here no i like the shot it's just Mm -hmm. the only thing is i like the way it ended it's just the problem is is like I don't see what else there could be, as we talked about. Is this a movie really discussing more religion or a movie discussing more science? They didn't really dabble in each well enough for me to even make that. I can't, can't even tell you. Yeah, there's there's like small pieces here. I, I find that they raise questions and then don't. I don't need them to answer the questions, but I think they need a deeper exploration of, of questions. I mean, there, there was one line that I really liked uh, that Appy had said uh, in the third act, and he said, you know, they're monkeying with the universe without knowing what they were doing, uh, which I thought was apt. Like, basically, you have humans, which are monkeys, effectively, you know, doing particle physics. They don't even, they're messing with the reality, with the fabric of reality, and they don't even know what that means, what it is that they're doing. So... I think that's what the movie is is kind of trying to say is we have monkeys playing God and that's and there's consequences to that. And this is, uh, you know, this is one of them. This is one of them. Exactly. Some of these threads aren't even explored and Mm -hmm. I I wish they did. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that that kind of uh, wraps up 
sort of the main uh, the main talking point there, which is the ending and and what it means there. Just another couple questions I'll I'll throw your way here is sure. uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the the main character there, Zach, and uh, what you thought of uh, this. Uh, so Bruno Lawrence was the actor. He had to carry a lot of the movie on his shoulders before anybody else even showed up on screen. How did you think he did? I thought he did okay. This movie is not going to be known for its acting. The thing is, is when he was alone, I felt he did a better job. And I'm assuming when the casting process would happen, that's what they, they wouldn't really cast based on chemistry with others. They would cast based on like this character. They would cast based on how he would be able to portray himself and sell being alone. And I think he did that well, unfortunately. And, and I like the first act of this movie when mm. he's alone. I did not like it when he started interacting with, is it Joanna and yeah. Appy? When yeah. they came on board, I felt this movie just took a serious dump on itself because mm. I, I just felt they lost its footing. I I think it would have been more interesting if he was alone this whole time. I, I didn't buy yeah. any of the I didn't buy any of the relationships. I didn't buy any of the conflicts that happened, and I thought his acting got worse when he started interacting with Joanna and Appy. Mm -hmm. He wasn't convincing at all. None of them were. Like, the acting was pretty bad in this movie, especially Joanna and Abby. Zach did a good job when he was with himself, and I think that's how he got cast, or this Bruno guy. Yeah. What do you think? Do you, th do you agree with that sentiment or not? Well, I, I agree with part of what you said. I enjoyed his... You're right. It, it, he's at his best as uh, as an actor when he's just alone. I mean, that's... You're right. I mean, that, that would have been a large part of the casting process. At least it must have been because he had to carry so much on on his own shoulders yeah, the other two the other two actors don't quite measure up. Uh, it could be combination of you know just the writing, uh, and I mean obviously we're dealing with unknown actors at this point. You know, not a lot of experience. Bruno Lawrence had uh, was uh, was a veteran, not huge, but he was uh, he'd been in plenty of uh, things before this. The other two were this might have been their first film or or you know first or second role. So yes, yeah, so they did they didn't do as great a job. It would have been difficult, I think, to do this movie with just him by himself the whole time. I think you lose what's cool about it as soon as somebody else shows up. But when it comes to storytelling, you need some kind of conflict in order to create drama. And that's hard to do if it's going to be a one-man show for 90 minutes. True. But the problem is, is I didn't buy any of that drama when the other two people came aboard. It seemed very forced. Well... You think was, so? I, mean, I think so, man. I I didn't buy got, it. You got two. You got two men and a woman. I I buy there's going to be yeah, some but, conflict. But it, but, been, but it was it was done so poorly. What was it? What do you think? Too over the top or, or? Yeah, too over the top? And it was too quick. Like the cuts. It was like a mix of directing. It was probably a budget issue because it's low budget. Yeah. I don't have time to flesh out any of these scenes. Yeah. So like all of a sudden they give a nice big great big hug. They have a talk about, oh, they were at the moment of death. And the next thing you know, Appy wants to kill Zach for no apparent oh. reason, just because Zach is trying to get to the bottom of this whole thing. No, he wanted to kill him because he was having an argument. He thought that he was roughing up the, the girl, uh, roughing up Joanne. Uh, I, I and didn't then buy he, it. So they weren't communicating with each other. No, I, don't, I didn't buy it. That's just me. No, no, that's fair enough. I mean, yeah. that's that's fair enough. I I think that that is the the weakest part of the movie is is them trying to sell sort of that whatever you want to call the love triangle, whatever you want to call it there. That, that's that certainly conflict. where, yeah, yeah that, conf that, that conflict uh, is the, is the part of the movie that, 
that doesn't quite work. All right. Well, any final thoughts on, on this film? Would you say that this is a rare antiquity? Would you recommend this? This is, it's a gray line. It's, it's just like the ending of the movie being so ambiguous. My answer may be ambiguous because, um, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it depends on your mood and what you're really looking for. I loved the first act of this film. While it's not an expertly filmed movie and, and it is low budget, there's a lot to take away from the first act. I love the setup. I love the shots of him going through the city alone. I love when he starts getting unhinged and he's starting to get lonely and crazy and feeling guilty and you're starting to get clues onto what this event was. I liked that a lot. The problem is, is when... You bring these other two characters there and they start focusing in on aspects that really aren't helping this movie. Mm -hmm. You're actually bringing this movie to a place where it doesn't need to go with these conflicts, love triangle. And it's not believable. The acting isn't good. It hurts the film. Largely so. It took me completely out of the movie. And I wanted them to go back. And what they did is in the end, all they really do is like, it's like the first 30, 40 minutes of this movie have to deal with this event. This other 30, 40 minutes of the movie have to deal with the, the love triangle and them discovering Appy and all that stuff. And they waste another 15 minutes of Appy trying to figure out, oh, is there another person? Zach's lying and all that stuff. Uh, you only have so much time when you're focusing on something that doesn't need to be focused on. And then you got five minutes to wrap everything up with a pre, pre-flash sequence, them getting the, like with them walking on the walls and then getting the explosives and then the end. And then you have like, the money shot at the end, which is, and then it cuts away and it's done. Yeah. So I didn't like the second half of the movie because it didn't focus on what, in my opinion, needed to be focused on. And then instead of drawing on these character moments between the three, like they give some good hints onto some good, the good conversation around the campfire. I loved that because it gives you a hint at what happened. Like they, they survived because they were at the moment of death. But aside from that, there's no threads or layers there that were had that were built into these characters to have these characters even develop any further. They're just there. So I didn't really enjoy any of these characters. Except, and I enjoyed Zach up to that point. And then it felt like he became a different person. And then he became back to himself in the last 10 minutes and then the movie's done. So it's hard for me to dump on this movie. You know, it depends what other kind of New Zealand films are, are out there. I've never seen... A film from from this area, so I appreciated I appreciated a lot of it, but it's hard for me to recommend it as a rare antiquity. But I don't want to not recommend it. It's just right on that gray line <laughs> because there's still a lot to take away from it. But I don't think it's strong enough simply because of a weak second act, a weak second act, yeah. and a very rushed third act for me to give it a recommendation or a thumbs up. So. I unfortunately have to say no. It's yeah. not not something I think you need to go out and rush rush to see. I can't give it a strong recommendation, but if you appreciate science fiction and you like a very good ending, because the ending is strong, it's just not long enough, and there's not enough pieces to really enjoy it further, but it's, it's a really good, strong final twist and image. If you like that, go watch it. Aside from that, ignore it. Skip it. All right. I'll tell you what I... Uh... You know, just my final thoughts here. I do recommend the film as as a watch. I think that as you know, a science fiction fan, this is uh, this is a a good. There's enough going on here that I think uh, you know, sci-fi fans want to get their hands on this film. It is hard to get to get your hands on. I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, the first act is definitely the strongest. Uh, when we get the other two, 
characters in there are a few things that are breaking down i felt that some of the some of the conflict was manufactured i think he definitely hit uh, hit the nail on the head there but at the same time i i believe that they they were going to have conflict just the nature of uh, what was happening here three's a crowd and and they proved it some of the conflict how it played out was a little over the top but i wondered if that was appropriate based on on the circumstances so questions there there's a lot of really interesting questions that are asked here in the in the film I would have liked to have seen some deeper exploration. Uh, I mean, you're right. Some of the some of the layers that would have really helped just aren't here. They just don't get deep enough into it. So they could have done with a little less breadth and a little more depth in a in a lot of uh, a lot of the scenes. Again, I prefer that they bring questions up in the first place as opposed to most movies now don't even ask any questions. So there is some value there. I always enjoy pondering certain questions about you know scientists playing God. Has man basically killed God, and uh, now people just kind of do what they want for the sake of doing it? So I think that those are interesting questions here. So if you want some uh, some thought provoking items, this is a this is a good one for you. Uh, some real strong imagery in this uh, in this movie, uh, which I think alone is worth recommending. Uh, so for me, so I was going to say, yeah. So sorry, quick question for you now. Yeah. So you we're going to recommend the movie as yeah. as you mentioned. But is it a rare antiquity? Because I think there's still a little bit of a difference. Yeah, I I agree. I think there's a difference because like I could we could recommend lots that aren't rare antiquities. I think it's a rare antiquity because this isn't a movie that's like any other movies. Not not really. I mean, there are obviously other films in this genre. It's not the first or last time we've ever seen sort of the Last Man on Earth type of concept. But I think that. You know, as sort of a small foreign film, yeah, I think it's a. I do think it's a rare antiquity. Oh, interesting. That's good. Yeah, yeah, I do. So, so, so I have one more question for you because this right. is a movie you've seen as a child. Yeah. How did you did you view it any differently or interpret any differently now that you've seen it as an adult? On the like on the surface, I mean, I remembered pretty clearly just the the plot. You know, I I remembered that. What was great watching it as an adult is I understood what the questions that were actually that were being asked here as a kid. I didn't understand any of that stuff. I didn't, I didn't get the, uh, the man playing God, uh, the, you know, the idea of turning, you know, just pure scientific knowledge into a, into a weapon, uh, none of that stuff. So I, I was happy to find those items here. Uh, Cause I, I didn't, I didn't get any of that stuff before. I thought it was just, you know, everybody got zapped and then um a guy jumped to another dimension at the end you know when i was a kid that was all of that was enough for me right it was all pretty right. cool so okay well that's interesting all right well i think that wraps up the quiet earth what do you have in store for us next time well i'm gonna take a like we're, we just missed halloween so i in the spirit of the season even though we, we just missed the date i thought we could go back and in the spirit of what we did with the Superman franchise, but keep it a lot smaller, and we're talking about reboots, I thought we would go back and revisit and compare John Carpenter's Halloween to Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Have you seen either? No, I have not seen either of these films. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have not. As you as you know, and as we've talked about on the show, I, I do not have a lot of experience in the horror movie genre it's not really my bag so uh yeah that, that'll be interesting for sure you know just to warn you 
this is now Rob Zombie's, yeah, we can get into it in the next podcast, but it is a very direct reboot. But there are elements that are completely different. So it'll right. be an so interesting he, take. So he, it, it's like, it, it's a, so he takes the, the same script effectively, right? The same yeah. story. And, it's yeah. the same story, but there are things he does differently. And okay. I thought we could we could talk about the pros and cons, if there are any pros. Many people say just you can't touch that classic at all, and then we can get into it. And I, I I'd be very even curious to see if you consider John Carpenter's Halloween even a classic from someone who is kind of not into horror movies, yep. because that's really the the grandfather of the slasher movies. I'm a fan of John Carpenter's though. I mean he's he's had he's had some good ones that I really enjoy. So. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. Yeah, that'll be great. All right. Well, uh, that was good to talk about this one with you, man. And uh, I guess we'll wrap it up and we'll we'll see you next time for for Halloween. (laughs) Will do. We'll see you then. All right, man. Cheers. Cheers.